Amen. Good morning, everybody. You're looking good this morning. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, good to see you, old buddy. You're looking sharp. Be sure and use old buddy. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. We've been in 1 Peter for quite some time now, and we're going to continue in 1 Peter just for a moment longer, if that's okay with you guys, going verse by verse through this. And we started a sermon series a few weeks ago called Exiles, because that's how Peter addresses uh, the, the readers, the, the Christians in that time, in the letter that he's written to the exiles, and basically saying, like we've said over and over again, that you guys aren't immigrants in this place that are trying to become citizens, and, and you're not citizens of this country, but you are elect, chosen exiles sent into a country, sent into a place, this world that is not your own, that's not your home, but you are here for a reason, you're here for a purpose, to bring about transformation and change and to live as godly people in an ungodly culture. And so he's writing them as they're going through extremely difficult times, and this particular message I want to call for the Lord's sake, and you'll understand a little bit more about it when we get into it. And this is an interesting topic of discussion, but we're going verse by verse through it, so let's cover it together. We're at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, and here's what it reads. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor." Let's pray together real quick. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your presence that's here this morning. And Holy Spirit, we know that you're speaking to us. God, I believe that you're, you've already spoken to us this morning just as, as we've been through worship. And God, you're bringing us into a place of faith to believe you. But God, your word is life and your word is truth. And, and, and we believe that it's by the truth of your word that we are transformed and so, God, this is, a, this is a very particular subject that we're speaking about this morning, but I trust that through the power of your Spirit, God, you can open our ears to hear, give us hearts to receive, and that we'll be more like Jesus because of it this morning. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. So he starts this out, uh, you know, be subject to every human institution for the Lord's sake. Now you need to let me get through this because I know all of us are inner rebels on the inside. And as soon as you hear be subject to somebody, you're like, I don't know about that right there, man. I mean, you know, I can't tr you can't trust people, you know, what they might put on you. I, I don't know about being subject to people. But he says, for the Lord's sake, be subject to every human institution. And when you use that language, you, you, have you ever used that language for the Lord's sake? Now the way we do it is for God sake you know what I'm saying and usually if somebody uses that language they use it because they're frustrated you ever been so frustrated with somebody you're like man just please be quiet for God's sake and what you're doing when you say for God's sake is you're you one in that context you're almost kind of saying a curse word in a sense because you don't really mean it you're just using it to tag on but if you were meaning it for the right reasons you're basically appealing to a higher authority what you're saying is, is if you ain't going to do it for my sake, if you ain't going to do it for the sake of the room, please, for the sake of the Lord himself, be quiet. 
right? That, that's what you're trying to move into. And what he's saying is, listen, in a world where there is, it's very hard to be subject to people because people are wrong a lot, you disagree with people a lot, people are hateful, people may be bigots, people may be this or that, whatever you think, but he's saying, as Christian people, we need to live in a way that is respectful and honorable. And he said, if you're not going to do it for my sake, if you're not going to do it for anybody else's sake, for the Lord's sake, be subject to every human institution. Now, we got to unpack what this means a little bit. And here's what's interesting. You know, the guy that wrote this is, is Peter, right? Y'all ever heard somebody say, for Pete's sake? It's, a, it's the same concept. They got it from Peter because the idea is, is that Peter's going to be at heaven's gates with a clipboard taking a note of how you lived your life, whether or not you're going to get entrance into the kingdom. And they're saying, for Pete's sake, you need to live like this. And so he's trying to make a point saying, for the Lord's sake, you need to live very intentionally in a very specific way. And as exiles in this world that is broken and sinful, here's what he's saying. We're not to insulate ourselves from the world. We're not to imitate the world, but we're to infiltrate the world. Amen. We don't insulate ourselves from the world. We don't just stay away from all the evil and try to, try to guard ourselves. We don't imitate the world and become just like the world, but ultimately we come into a place where we infiltrate the world, where we demonstrate to them a different way of living, a different lifestyle that appeals to their conscience and brings them to a place of repentance in Jesus Christ. And so he starts here by telling us that our, our perfect God often works through imperfect authority. And so here's, here's some of the questions that people might say because they look at the history and they say, well, why, did, you know, why didn't they just do like America did to the, to the British? You know what I'm saying? Why didn't they just rise up and overthrow the Roman Empire? Well, one, because the Christians were a very, because the Roman Empire was evil, y'all. I mean, they had a lot of, lot of different, different beliefs and they worshipped the emperor as God. And you say, well, why didn't the Christians just rise up and overthrow the Roman Empire, man, and install godly leadership and install godly values and morals. Well, first, Christians were a minority. They were a very small group at that time, and the Roman Empire was the greatest, most powerful empire to ever exist at that time, and they were dominating nations and taking full control and forcing people to worship the emperor at the cost of their lives. It was a lot like currently modern-day North Korea. There was no separation between church and state, and you're basically forced to worship the emperor and you're forced to worship the state. If you did have a church that you were going to say exactly what the state told you to say and you were going to have a picture of the emperor on the back of the wall just to make sure everybody knew who was in charge and you were going to live in that particular context, the early church would have been astonished at the kind of freedom that you have. They would have been astonished at the fact that we can come and meet every day or we can even post this that we're preaching right now on Facebook for all the world to see. Because if you didn't worship the emperor and you taught people to worship some other god, ultimately you were going to be put to death for what you believed in during that time. And so they're living in that, undergoing intense persecution, and he goes as far as to say, listen, you need to honor the emperor. You need to honor the governors. You need to honor Pontius Pilate. You need to honor the, the, the early emperor during this time was a guy named Claudius. And then the, the next guy after that was a guy named Nero. And I told you a little bit about Nero, but he was probably one of the worst humans to ever live, I must say. 
okay? He was under extreme demonic influence, and listen to what he did to Christians. I told you a little bit. One thing that he did to Christians is when he would arrest them, he would tie a rope to each of their limbs and then tie that rope to four different horses and have horses run in different directions dismembering Christians. That's pretty intense, right? Somebody's like, oh, you can't believe the political landscape we're under. We're under terrible leadership. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, it's awful. I'm thinking, you know what? Get under some Nero right quick. I mean, I've seen, there's been worse throughout uh, human history. Um, So he would do that. Then sometimes what he would do is he would put pitch and resin on Christians. And during his state-sponsored dinners uh, around the, uh, around the, the, the throne, so to speak, whenever they would bring people together, he'd put pitch and resin on these Christians, put them up on a pole, and set them on fire alive to light his garden at night. And then just for sports, sometimes in the gladiatorial games, once they arrested Christians for preaching the gospel, he would put them in the gladiatorial gladiatorial auditorium and release lions and other beasts in order to devour them publicly and eat them. Now that's insane, isn't it? Now if I'm living in that time and I'm writing somebody a letter, one of the things I'm going to leave out of that letter is honor the emperor. I ain't putting that in there. Don't honor this dude. Dishonor this dude. Let's overthrow this dude. Matter of fact, if somebody could kill him, they'd be doing God a service. That would be my feelings. That would be my thoughts. So when Peter says this, he's actually appealing to something that's much, much deeper. He's asking you to honor someone that is literally deplorable. Somebody that is honestly the awfulest thing that you can imagine in your culture. And so here's the thing that they're saying, look, they're saying we're living differently and we understand that this world is under the control of some demonic forces. And often when you see leadership and authority doing evil, it's not that we condone that evil, it's not that we vote for that evil, it's not that we try to represent that evil or say, hey, we're we're okay, don't worry about it, that's fine, just keep doing evil. That's not what he's telling us to do. But he's saying the way that we're going to win the culture is not by disrespecting people, but disagreeing with them in an honorable way disagreeing with them in an honorable way. I know it's an election year right now, so we have to consider this even to a greater degree whenever we get into some of these issues. Because here's the thing, you're going to come into a place where over and over again you're going to be faced with this fact where you have to say, all right, what kind of representative am I here and how should I live in respecting and honoring people? Like if you are a worker uh, and you, you don't, how many of you, you know, you work with some people and coworkers and y'all don't like your employer? Don't raise your hand, amen. You don't, you don't like your boss? Yeah, Jesse said he didn't like his employer over there. She's rough on him, sitting right next to him. But he honors her nonetheless, amen. Look, he's got his arm around her. Uh, but you see, you can be put in positions, and what he's saying, look, you, you need to learn how to disagree with political leaders, but still honor and respect them. You need to learn to maybe even disagree with your boss, but still honor and respect them and subject yourself to them. Uh, if your children, and this is a difficult one for a lot of people, even when you disagree with your parents or your parents are ungodly and live ungodly lives, and you still need to honor and respect them. You still need to cover them with grace. You still need to have mercy upon them and honor honor and respect them and this is something that that we honestly have lost in our culture and in our generation and I think even citizens are are to respect first responders they're to respect those in power they're to respect police officers these types of things are important in the Christian's life and how we speak about these things says a lot about who we are it says now listen you need to live differently so that you can earn 
the respect of these people as well. And he says, as a theological basis, you need to do it for the Lord's sake because God is the author of authority. And here's the thing, you may not think that God, listen, God wouldn't want this authority and power. I will agree with you to some degree. I, I don't think that God desires for evil to be in authority and power. But in a wicked world, often he hands us over and he gives us leadership that we desire because we are wicked. But then he puts us under that leadership for a very specific purpose, okay? And so, I don't know if, you, if you've ever been under authority, but maybe you have, maybe you haven't. My question to you is, whose authority are you under? And maybe, who is under your authority? Do you have people under your authority? And would they say, man, he's a kind leader. He's a gracious leader. Uh, you, you know, he, he leads by example. And, and, and he's thoughtful. He's not making everything just so harsh. And he's not a dictator. And he's not rough. And, 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 and that's the kind of leader that we all want, isn't it? And so we're looking for that, and when we don't get that, we get easily frustrated, we get easily discouraged, and we come into a place. But the, but the truth is, at some point in your life, you're going to be under somebody who's an absolute moron. Amen. Amen. At some point in your life, you're going to be. And here's what it took me a while to learn, is that when you're under that, oftentimes it is, it is God trying to help you. It is God trying to show you a path because toxic leadership is often one of God's greatest tools for sanctification in his people. I know y'all don't like that. Nobody like, like, a lot of people ain't going to enjoy this sermon this morning. Toxic leadership is often one of God's greatest tools for sanctification in his people. You say, well, I can't take this. I'm praying God gets me out of this environment. This environment is toxic. This leadership is, is toxic. And we talk about that a lot. And I'm going to be honest with you. In my, in my nature, I would want to be out of that too. Nobody wants to be in a toxic environment. But you've got to ask yourself, why am I here right now? God didn't have to have me here. He could have put me in another position. But why am I here right now? Because the world is toxic. You're going to face toxic leadership. And you know what? Your response to toxic leadership can do two different things. It can change the people around you and bear witness to them that there's a God in heaven that loves, that is kind, that is submissive, that is gentle. But it can also give an opportunity to transform who you are on the inside. Because often what happens is when we're under toxic leadership, we end up becoming toxic as well. But he's saying, no, 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 I want to use this as a tool to purge you in your heart. Have y'all ever read a book? There's a book called The Tale of Three Kings. Anybody ever read that book? It's by a guy named Gene Edwards. I would recommend reading that book. Very short book. You can probably read it in about two hours. But it talks about Saul, about David, about Absalom, a tale of three kings. And the idea is this. As you see David anointed king because Saul had been rejected as king. David is anointed king, but guess what? He doesn't actually become king for another 15 years. Why would God anoint a man king, but then not allow him to actually become king for another 15 years? He allows King Saul to persecute him, try to kill him with a sword, run him through the wilderness year after year, trying to kill him. And get this, David has opportunities to kill Saul. Matter of fact, one night he sneaks up on Saul and even cuts the hem of his garment off just to say, Saul, why are you chasing me down? I have an opportunity to kill you and I've not done it. And he was convicted for even touching his garment, for even cutting that piece off of his garment. Why? Because God had brought him into a place where he said, you don't touch the Lord's anointed. I've got him in authority. Even though you've been anointed to be king, you're not there yet and you cannot actually become the king that I've called you to be until you first learn to submit to authority for people that might persecute you, that might hate you, that might reject you. He said, I'm trying to persecute 
purge the Saul out of your own heart, David, unless you become king and become just like Saul. In other words, so many people want to come to the top because they think the person in leadership over them, oh, I'd do such a better job. Oh, they're awful. Oh, I'd be way better than them at that. And we want to rise to the top. And God is saying, no, no, no. The reason you ain't there yet is because I need to purge that out of your own heart right now under that kind of leadership. Isn't that something? Man, that is a good word because most people think it's the opposite. We run from those types of situations. If we can get out of those situations, praise God, get out of it. But if you find yourself in those situations and you want to bad mouth and tear down and talk evil, I'm telling you that does not come from the Spirit of the Lord. That's coming from a different direction and it's actually you failing the test and God, God not a, a, being able to put you into the position that He had you. He was able to elevate David because David humbled himself under the mighty hand of the Lord. And in due season, he was exalted. So he says, be subject, submit yourselves. Literally in the Greek, arrange yourself under them and the posture of submitting yourselves to somebody is especially important when they're wrong amen now get this because it's it's easy to to submit myself to a leader who's right all the time you know what i'm saying it's easy to submit myself to a leader well man they just never get it wrong and they love me and they care for me and they encourage me and they strengthen me ah you know what i think i'll submit myself to them well congratulations good job He's saying, no, 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 it's, it's much more difficult to submit myself to human institutions and leaders that I don't agree with, that are actually wrong and I know I'm right, and to actually keep my mouth shut during that time. But he says, this is the kind of character that I'm trying to bring you into in this situation because he says there's no authority that, that is except that is from God, and when we resist authority, we, we resist the ordinances of God. Now somebody will say, and I'll get into this here in a little bit, here in a minute, because I'm going to say this, there are times when we need to resist authority, and that's a delicate balance. Somebody say, well, Clay, you're telling me to be subject to, like, you know, my employer, and he's just like, I mean, he's really a lot like Adolf Hitler, I'll just be honest with you. Like, I I feel like there's probably going to be a holocaust here pretty soon, and I'm going to have to hide some people underground, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're, we're kind of, somebody's smiling at me, they're like, yeah, that's my employer, he's that way. I got somebody I work for that is the worst, you know? And, and, and here's, here's what I want to say. Yeah, when it comes to that, when we enter into a Holocaust situation, I'll get into that later, there's a time for civil disobedience. There's a time for saying, no, we can't go that far, we can't do that. But what we're talking about is the day-to-day life where people aren't necessarily asking you to sin, you just disagree with what they're saying. He's saying, no, 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 you, don't learn, you can't use something like the Holocaust to justify you dishonoring your employer. Amen. You, you can't use something like that that's horrible and horrific. My, here's the thing. I've not had a whole lot of people try, like, actually f- try to force me to sin. So I can't come into a place where I use the, the, the exception to apply it to the rule of everyday life where I am just rebellious to everybody and everything and every political leader and everybody who is, like, you, y'all know what I'm talking about, y'all ever get on a plane? I was on the plane like six times in 2020 and it was just like you had to do everything just flawlessly, son. You had to like wash your hands before you entered, you had to keep the mask on and if you dropped it below your nose, we will kick you off this plane and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to drop that thing below my knows that's you, because there's some rebellion in you and you're like this is foolish this is goofy uh, you know and and, and, and you, you kind of feel that way sometimes and that rises up in you but see rebellion often leads to the opposite of freedom in a spiritual sense and so God's not called us into a place of rebellion 
Amen. But so he gives us very specific commands. He gives us seven in particular. And let's just go through this verse here, what he says. Number one, he says, do good to silence ignorant and foolish people. Let me ask you this question. Are there still ignorant and foolish people? They're still out there. Like they were there 2,000 years ago, there's still some out there today. Most of them are on the internet. Amen. Um, but, but, but there's still plenty of ignorant and foolish people. And what do ignorant and foolish people do? They, they are often some of the loudest people in the room. Would you agree? Ignorant and foolish people are often some of the loudest people in the room. They make their point known. They overwhelm the situation. And you're like, oh my gosh. And what you want to do is get louder than them to try to shut them up. But you know, if you've read the book of Proverbs, to engage into that kind of conduct with a foolish person just makes you a fool as well. And he says, if you get as loud as them, you start arguing with them, guess what? You're just a fool too. So rather than arguing with them and quarreling with them, honor, respect them, self-sacrificially love them, and live in such a way where by doing good, you put them to silence because they're ignorant and they're foolish. So sometimes it's best to just keep your mouth shut and say, you know what, Lord, they're ignorant, they're foolish, and I'm just going to do good and love them anyway. And he says, by doing that, you're going to put them to silence and you're going to do something to their heart. And then number two, he says, live free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. So here's what he's saying. He's saying sometimes we can live free, and what we do is we use a bad set of circumstances, or we use somebody else being evil for the right for us to now be evil. It's like there, for a season there, you remember when something bad would happen in the world, maybe even somebody, somebody would be killed, uh, an innocent person might be killed, and we think, well, you know what would be good? Let's go and riot and tear down businesses, and let's set stuff on fire. Amen. Like, like that's, that's what we should do. And he's saying, no, 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 don't use a bad set of circumstances as a cover-up for you to now do evil on top of evil. If somebody's talking bad in your workplace, don't use the fact that they have a bad attitude and they're evil and they talk bad to join in and talk bad about them on the other side. He says, don't use that as a cover-up for evil, but instead use your energies to serve God. He says, in fact, rather than adding evil to evil and quarreling and fighting with people, he said, right now I need to find a way to serve God in this situation, to spread some salt, to spread some light, to speak some life, to do something good in this situation that's going to bring light into this situation. He says, use your energies to serve God. And then he says, get this, honor everyone. What about people that you know are wrong? What about people that you know you disagree with, and you're just like, man, these people are foolish. These people are goons. Now, here's what he said. He didn't say vote for them. He didn't say endorse them. He didn't say condone their behavior. He just said honor them. Amen. I know y'all have got to be convicted in here right now because y'all are sitting there thinking, I got people in my life right now, and all we do is talk bad about them because of how awful they are. And he's saying, good, 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 that's all right. See, nobody preaches this, but we're going through verse by verse, amen? So we got to cover it. And, he, and he's dealing with this issue of our heart where, where, we, where we deal, we say, look, he says, honor everyone. It doesn't mean you agree with them, but it means there needs to be some mutual respect. You know, Andre and I, honestly, we, we only agree about half the time. You know, amen. Anybody married in here? You're just like, we only agree about 50% of the time. But that doesn't mean that we dishonor one another. We had a disagreement this morning, but at the end of it, you know, I, I come to a place where it's like, okay, you know what? I disagree with her, but I'm still going to honor and respect her. She's my wife. I love her, and I'm going to treat her good. And then he moves into this place where he says, now you've got to love the brotherhood. 
Because when people are arguing all over our culture, you will be tempted to pick sides. You'll be, you'll be tempted to say, well, I'm a Republican. Well, I'm a Democrat. Well, I'm this. Well, I'm that. Or, 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 and pick sides. And when he's saying, no, 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 don't, just, don't allow the division in culture to make you pick a side that has nothing to do with God. He says, don't go left or right. Go up and pick God's side. And he says, love the brotherhood and, and, and get together with your family because what you need to have the most in common with right now are the people of God. You don't need to have the most in common with a political party or, or, or the issues that you vote on, even though those are good things, right? That, I'm not saying those are, those are bad things, but I'm saying what you should have the most in common with are the people of God who are living for Jesus, worshiping Jesus, because we don't believe that a political party can save the world. We believe Jesus saves the world. And so he's saying, don't get caught up in the divisive tactics and go left or right, but go above all of these things and love the brotherhood and start with the people that are around you. Because here's the thing, if everybody else is fighting and arguing and we can't love one another in the house, we've got some issues. So he's saying, let it start right here in the house. Let's love the brotherhood. Then he says, fear God. You know, a lot of things I don't do, I've caught myself on the brink of just having an outburst of absolute rage. But the reason that it held me back was the fear of God. Anybody ever been there? Say, I just don't believe in the fear of God, brother. Well, you need to. Because it's going to keep you from doing stupid stuff. And sometimes I get into, like even when I get into an argument, like I said, I'm going to bring Andre into this. If we're getting into an argument, there are times when I feel like, you know what, I'm just about to blow my lid and the Lord will show up and say, are you really? Are you really going to do that? Because you know what I'll do to you, son. I mean, he's going to judge me one day. That, that holds me in reverence, son. I'm not playing with this guy. I know he's a God of love, but he's also a father who will discipline me. And I'm not, I'm not, willing, I'm not willing to bring that judgment and incur that wrath. I know. The Bible even says that because I teach the Word, I'm going to receive a stricter judgment. It's not going to be all cotton balls on judgment day. He's going to deal with some issues. And so fear of the Lord is a healthy thing. He says fear God because ultimately you can be under bad authority, but you know what? We appeal to an even higher authority, and ultimately I'm going to submit to God for the sake of this person, for the sake of this person even when I disagree with them. And then lastly, he says honor the emperor, which is crazy because we just learned who the emperor was. How many of you, your boss is trying to put resin on you and put you on a pole and set you on fire? It feels that way sometimes. <laughs> It feels that way sometimes. But he says you need to honor this man. Now here's what's interesting because they forced the worship of the emperor. We were to bow, they were to bow down and worship the emperor. What he doesn't say is worship the emperor. He doesn't say vote for the emperor. He doesn't say agree with everything the emperor says. He doesn't say believe everything that the emperor says is true. He doesn't say believe that all the laws that the emperor enacts are the right laws. He doesn't say any of that. He just says honor the emperor. They were in mass disagreement with the emperor at the time. There was no way they were going to overthrow him through force, and nor were they called to overthrow him through force. But they believed that the kingdom of God was like a mustard seed. And even though it looked small, once it is planted, it grows up like a tree and can overcome everything. And ultimately, it did overcome the Roman Empire through self-sacrificial love that was willing to lay down their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. And it overthrew the Roman Empire. Consider that. They never lifted a sword. They never said we need to fight. They won them through self-sacrificial love until finally Christianity became the religion of the Roman Empire. Crazy to think about. 
crazy to think about, but we think, no, 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 no. Some we got to overthrow this stuff. We got to do it by force. If we can't do it, through, I don't, I, Clay, you know what? It's a good idea. I know it's in the Bible, but I just don't think love's going to work. <laughs> Amen. Y'all are good this morning. Every culture, there's a default toward rebellion or respect. You realize that? Every culture, there's a default toward rebellion or respect. Now, honestly, you can go to some cultures where they've been so dominated for so long, they're so intimidated by the government, they're so scared of the government, that they will not say anything. Because they're in such fear, they're afraid that they'll be put, thrown in jail, they'll be persecuted, they'll be killed. I mean, you disagree with the, you disagree with the emperor. So, so, they, so they, they respect even when they disagree. They won't speak evil or speak wrongly about a person that they disagree with out of fear. And, they, they, and, and respect is built in. If you go to a country like Africa or India, uh, you know, e- even as pastors, when I show, I remember going to India when I was 24 years old. I was a punk kid, didn't deserve an ounce of respect. Everywhere I'd go, people would be doing this to me. And I'd be like, what kind of culture is this? I mean, if I, go to a, I go to my home church, they just soon slap me in the face and listen to me. You know what I'm saying? So when, I first, when I first came to this church, the people in this church would say, Clay, I mean, they walk in the door, wouldn't even say hi. Clay, go make some coffee. You know, that's the kind of respect that you get in, in, in America. <laughs> Go make us some coffee, all right? You know, that, that's the kind of, it's, it's a difference. So we either tend toward respect or we tend toward rebellion. In America, which way do you think we tend toward? We tend toward rebellion. And there's a, several reasons why we tend toward rebellion. Number one is because we're all sons of Adam. We all got sin in us, right? And that means that we're all, we all want to be autonomous. And we all want to be self-made people. I, don't want, I, ain't, I ain't listening to nobody. I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to be my own God. That's the sin nature in us. Secondly, is because of pride. Like, we, we just have pride. We just think we're right most of the time. And we don't want to hear anybody else telling us what to do. I got a better way to do it. And I'm not, I don't want to submit to your authority. I don't want to be told what to do because I am right and you are wrong. It's called pride. Amen. I, I see people smiling and all that stuff. Thirdly, get this, we are a Protestant church, you realize that. A Protestant church, there's three big branches of the church. You have the Catholic church, you have the Eastern Orthodox church, and then you have Protestant churches which make up Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, all these different churches. And the Protestant church, actually, you know what the the root word is there, it's protest. We said, you know what, we disagree with you, we're breaking off. And they threw up a protest. We rebelled against the Catholic Church, which I think was the right thing to do given history because guess what? They were protesting because they were appealing to a higher authority. They said, you're trying to submit to the authority of men and you're trying to make priests over us when in, in, in actuality, the Word of God says that we are all priests before God through Jesus Christ. And so they appealed to a higher authority, and that's why they protested. There's a time for protest, but it's only when you appeal to a higher authority, and even when you protest, you can do it in an honorable way. Amen. amen. This is good preaching. All right. I got, sometimes I got amen myself, y'all. Second, the, the other thing, though, is beyond, beyond Protestants, we are Americans, aren't we? And I don't know if y'all remember, but like, like on July 4th, you know what we're going to do? We're going to blow stuff up. Just to let people know, hey, we're free. And we don't listen to nobody. And ain't nobody coming up on the up. And, and, and just so you know, I'm shooting some stuff on the air and letting it go boom. Just so you know that we are free and this is America, baby. 
and, I, and that, that's innate in our hearts. We, we are rebellious by nature. We hate when government encroaches in on our rights and we reject that stuff. And to some degree, those things can be positive when evil is encroaching because we've got to appeal to a higher authority. But see, we also get so caught up in that that we forget to respect the people around us. We forget to respect police officers and teachers and political officials and authorities in power. We forget to respect... I remember... I remember, you know, there's been a big movement here over the last few years, like defund the police and all that stuff, and, and you know, because there were some bad things that are happening. But, but here's, here's one of the things that you've got to understand. In every human institution, it could be police, could be government, could be educational systems, teach, guess what? There, there, there's some bad cops out there, but I think 99% of them, there's some bad teachers, but I think 99% of them want to do well, want to do good, aren't out to harm people. I believe that. I believe for the most part, but you, you get a bad apple. Even within among pastors, guess what? I'd even say there's a higher percentage of them that want to do evil. You know what I'm saying? Like They got some ulterior motives. You're going to find some churches. You're going to find some leaders. Every human institution is going to have some bad apples, but that don't mean you throw out the institution. That don't mean you say, we don't, oh, well, we're going to defund the... If we defunded the police and we didn't have any police officers, boys, it would be a bad day in society. It would be anarchy. And you don't want anarchy. There's a time for civil disobedience, but there's never a time for anarchy. And so we have to understand this because we want to... I remember, I remember uh, growing up even. My dad said, look, even if a police officer ever pulls you over, ever does anything to you, he said, I don't care if you're right. I don't care if they've wrongfully accused you. He said, you say, yes, sir, no, sir. You honor them, you respect them. You, and, and guess what? It paid off because one time, I'm going to tell you all a crazy story. Because <laughs> one time in Panama City, I was, just, I, was just, hey, I was just walking along the street. I hadn't been doing much. <laughs> I was in swimming trunks. And get this, I was about 19 years old and two ATF agents. Son, throw me up against the wall put me in handcuffs immediately and just start questioning the fire out of me. And I mean, here's the thing. I might have been a little intoxicated. I'm sorry. I mean, I was 19. I wasn't saved. I didn't know the Lord. Uh, but I hadn't really done that much. You know what I'm saying? But ended up, they, they, ended, I said, I said, they talked awful to me. They made fun of me. They made fun of my accent. They made fun of the fact that I was from Kentucky. They cussed me, as some people say, to where a fly wouldn't light. And, uh, but, 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 but the whole time, I remember my teaching, you know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. No, sir. Told them my name, gave them all the information, everything that I'd done up to that point, how old I was, everything. You know, I gave it all to them, and they let me go with a ticket. He said, you know what, if you hadn't acted so well, he's going to take you to jail, son. But he let me go with a ticket. The point being, though, is, is, is we need, once again, to learn that kind of honor and respect. Even when we disagree, because I do feel like they probably were a little bit strong-handed with me. They could have went a lot lighter. I even got a little scratch on my face, you know, from where they threw me up against the brick wall. Like, it, it, it was rough. But see, we're, we need to learn how to honor those in authority. Now, he goes on to say, 1 Peter 2, verse 18. He says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. I know that, that sounds strange. We'll get into that here in a minute. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. What? For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, 
you see, that was kind of like a thing. I had done a little wrong, but I didn't feel like what I'd done had justified my, my, my punishment. You know what I'm saying? So, but he says, but what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That's crazy. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So part of your ministry as a Christian is to suffer well. Part of your ministry, nobody said, well, I didn't sign up for that ministry, Clay. Like, bro, I'm on the worship team. You know what I'm saying? I'm here to play music. Uh, I didn't sign up for suffering well. And he, sa he says, but part of your ministry in this world is actually to learn how to suffer well. They knew they were going to be persecuted. Jesus had brought them into that place. Thank God we're, we're not there yet. But what if one day it actually begins to come in a greater measure? Are we going to be able to suffer well? Are we going to be able to come up under that kind of authority? Are we going to be able to demonstrate what it means to suffer like Jesus suffered? And he says, look, as a result, he says, you're going to suffer unjustly because there are things in our world that disagree with us. And, and guess what? We are going to continue to be in greater disagreement with culture. Culture's most likely not going to start lining up more and more with Christianity. It's more, more than likely going to spread more and more. And he says, there's going to come a place where there's going to be some things you can't believe, some things you can't agree with, some things you can't, cannot condone, and ultimately it's going to put you in a position where you may be more persecuted. And he says, are you going to be able to suffer unjustly during that thing? And he says, this is a gracious thing. In other words, when you suffer, there's been Christians, I, I've told you the story about how some Christians in China who are being persecuted are right now currently praying that persecution would come to America because they claim that the greatest sense of God's presence only comes through persecution. They, they're praying that persecution would come to America because they believe it would refine us into a position where real revival could take place. Think about that. So they've experienced something that's changed their worldview and they realize what we want is not comfort and what we want is not just for things to be easier and for us to just sit and take our ease. What we want is for the kingdom of God to explode. And they're seeing it's, China underground is one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Iran underground is one of the fastest growing churches in the world. One's under Sharia law, one's under a communist dictatorship, and both of them it is illegal to worship Jesus. Amen. So unjust suffering, number one, it makes us grateful for Jesus. Because... Christ has suffered and left an example for us in our suffering, and we have a template how to suffer when we go through it. And he says, it makes us, unjust suffering makes us grateful for Jesus because when we are suffering, every time I get a little bit aggravated or somebody mistreats me, somehow or another the Holy Spirit will bring it up to me and be like, oh yeah, you know, it's, I, I, it seems like I might remember a guy that was sort of unjustly treated. Seems like I might remember a guy that was spoken poorly about when he did no wrong. And the fact of the matter is, is you have done wrong. You probably actually deserve to be spoken poorly about. But the fact of the matter is, is Jesus did no wrong, and yet he left a place of absolutely no suffering to enter into our suffering, and he demonstrated when you go through suffering, here's how you're supposed to do it. 
And it makes us grateful for the fact that he went through it. Number two, it allows us to be comforted by Jesus because the scripture says we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses or even our sufferings because Jesus says, you know what? Oh yeah, I remember. I know what it's like for somebody to speak evil of you when all you do is good. I know what it's like whenever the government comes against you. I know what it's like when people literally want you killed. I know what it's like when people lie about you. I know what it's like when friends who call themselves Christians betray you I know what it's like when somebody sells you out I know what it's like when ultimately somebody beats you and I know what it's like when somebody puts you to death I know every aspect every dimension of this and because of that I can comfort you in the middle of it and thirdly unjust suffering it makes us like Jesus because when we go through unjust suffering we have a template where we say Jesus how would you respond in this situation Well, he taught us. He said, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, the type of persecution you have is really you just got a mean boss. Amen. That's what you got. And he's saying you need to learn how to love them effectively, honor and respect them, and submit to their authority. Oh, my gosh, that right there just hit somebody right in the face. And he's saying if you can learn how to do that, I'll do something by my spirit on the inside of you where you become more like me. You learn to forgive them, you learn to love them, you learn to bless them in it, and it makes you more like Jesus. And why would you do that? Because you are God's servant, and he has commissioned you in a broken world to live a lifestyle that is so different that people take notice of it. Maybe the only way that they know you're a Christian is because they know they're mean deep down, they know they're rude deep down, they know that they're dishonest deep down, but all of a sudden you still respond in love, you still respond in honor, you still respond in kindness, and it does something to their hearts. Amen. You may win some people like that. Then he goes on and he starts, in this scripture, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters. If you've got a certain translation, it may say bond servants. Other translations may say slaves. And in our generation, in our culture, people will use these scriptures where it says this to say, see, the Bible is a bigoted book. The Bible supports slavery. I'm going to argue to you that the Bible absolutely never supports slavery. And you have to understand the context of this. You have to understand the context of why they would say servants be subject to your masters. And then not only that, he says, don't just be subject to the masters who are good ones, who treat you fairly. He says, but be subject to the ones who are unjust and treat you poorly. And that's a hard thing to hear because it's like, man, we know slavery is evil. We know like a servant to a master, like that, it don't mean, but, but again, we need to understand the context because if we read this, we think about slavery in America and it starts to mess with what we, what we believe. Now, let me, let me lay this out for you real quickly. 50% of the Roman Empire, they were slaves or servants or bond servants. They were all at 50, half. Half of all the people that were in the Roman Empire were either bond servants or slaves or servants, period. Now, in the Civil War, out of America during that time, only 10% were slaves. And I'll say this, in America, it was totally racial. In the Roman Empire, it was not racial whatsoever. It was, it was everybody of all different ethnicities and backgrounds. If they would come in, they would dominate you. Some of them they would just take and they would subject you and you would become a slave. And so you have to understand that context. But if you read in Scripture, I need you to understand that the Bible denounces slavery. 1 Timothy 1, 9-11, it says this, Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, 
for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So in that list of sin, he includes those who enslave people. He says this is evil. And he puts it along. But here's the thing. In every culture, notice if you read in that list, in every culture, some cultures will call some things vices and will call other things virtues. In our culture, we actually call sexual immorality virtue. It's freedom of expression of who you are. But in that culture back in that day, they called sexual immorality a vice. But guess what? They thought slavery was okay. And so now what we believe is, as Christians, even though the culture may believe different, we believe slavery and racism is evil, and we also believe that sexual immorality is evil as well, but sometimes we have different emotions for different ones. We're pretty soft nowadays on sexual immorality, but, but on other things we're pretty hardcore, and we're like, no, no, no that's evil. And the, the, the reality of it is, is it's all evil, and when you forget to call people to repentance of sin, you lose the gospel. So he lists sin very blatantly and very clearly because when we fail to call people to repentance of sin, we actually lose the gospel, and this is why he lays it out like this. And so he lays it out again. And let me, let me, let me be, just put this before you real quickly just so I can cover it, okay? So when we're talking about slave trading, what does he mean? Because in our culture, in our generation, slave trading, like I said, it was completely racial. And, and you see that where people just literally buy and sell slaves. And even in the Old Testament, you see it. Joseph was sold into slavery. He was sold into slavery into Egypt. He came first in command. But by the time his family got there and they grew to four million, guess what? Every single last one of them were enslaved. It was ethnic enslavement. And they were under that power. In America, we saw that for a season in our, in, in our and it was awful. And it was a terrible time. And we went through a civil war because of it. Now get this. Abraham Lincoln could have said, hey, you servants, you just need to be subject to your masters. But instead, he was a born-again Christian who saw that enslavement was evil in Scripture, and he began to pray and fast about it, and that's, because, that's the reason he went into a civil war to break and say, no, this is the evil that we need to go against. There's a time where we appeal to a higher authority, and God says this is evil, and even though it may be in law right now, it needs to be overthrown, so I'm appealing to a higher authority. Well, 11 states seceded from the Union, and they went into a civil Civil War where 630,000 people were killed over four years. And ultimately, Abraham Lincoln gave his life for it simply because he wanted to end slavery. He was in the abolitionist ticket whenever he ran for president. So the point being is, we, it's not that people, we even had people back then who realized as Christians this was evil. So never allow anybody to say, well, the Bible endorses slavery. No, it does not. It never has, and it never will endorse slavery. But what he's saying is, in that culture, there were people who were prisoners of war, and there were also people who were bond servants. Now, bond servants were people like, like for example, if, you, if you're in the military, you get on a GI Bill, and they say, if you work for us for this many years, we'll pay for your college. That's a bond servant deal. Even some of you teachers, you say, well, they say, well, if you'll work this long, we'll pay off your college. That's a bond servant deal. 
A bondservant wasn't enslaved. They were under some sort of financial agreement. Like, I can't take care of my family, so I'll work for you. I'll stay under your house. I'll submit to your commands so that me and my family will be taken care of financially. And then at some point when they got well enough off, they would release them and they would no longer be a bondservant. So, so that's different. What he's saying is, is if you get saved and you find yourself in one of these positions, we can't overthrow government right now. We can't change laws right now. So if you find yourself in these positions, what you need to understand is that you may be enslaved physically on the outside, but inwardly you are set free and the people who look free on the outside are not yet free because they don't know Jesus. So live in such a way where even when they're unjust they'll see your character and say why do you behave like this and you can tell them it's because my Jesus suffered this way for me because my and that's what he's saying he's not saying slavery is a good thing he's saying you need to behave in such a way because this is the current situation that you are in if you can get free praise God seek freedom but while you are in this situation learn to behave in such a way that demonstrates the character of Christ and that's a big difference so what about civil disobedience? What about unjust authority? What about ungodly authority? I want to say this. We are to submit to authority unless, one, it forbids us from doing what God commands, or two, it commands us to do what God forbids. You know, if you believe that one day an Antichrist will rise to the top of world power and cause all to take a mark of the beast well guess what at that point if you're a christian and you happen to be here you know what you need to not submit to authority <laughs> you need to resist that there is a time for civil civil disobedience and we are to submit to all authority unless it forbids us from doing what god commands or it commands us to do what god forbids in the Old Testament, you see this. If you remember Daniel, we talked about last week. Daniel shows up. They say, man, you need to eat this food. He said, no, 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 that's offered to another god. I'm not going to eat that food. Now, I'll honor the, I'll honor the king. I'll, 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 I'll give the king the, the honor that's due to him, but I'm not going to eat his food. I'm not going to eat his delicacies to another false god. And even the three Hebrew children, they said, listen, when the music plays, bow down and worship the image. And they said, no, 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 we honor the king. We respect the king, but we cannot worship a false god. God. So they threw him into a fiery furnace and the Lord ended up setting them free because they saw a fourth man in the fire and he delivered them. And then again, he said, nobody pray unless they pray to the king. And Daniel said, well, you know what? I can honor the king. I can bless the king. I can support and submit to the king. But ultimately, there's a higher authority. And I cannot pray to the king because I pray to the Most High God. And he made it a public issue and he opened his windows and he prayed publicly. He didn't hide it. He didn't keep it private. They threw him in the lion's den, but God delivered him. There's a time for civil disobedience. Now get this. Sometimes there is some wrong civil disobedience. Even in the New Testament, where did Paul write most of his letters from? He wrote them from jail, from prison. Why? Because he was a civil disobedient man. He kept preaching Jesus after they beat the tar out of him. They beat him up and he said, I appreciate that, boys. And he went out and he preached again. And said, all right, well, we're going to put you in jail. And then he wrote letters, so it worked out. Peter shows up on the scene. Peter made one act of ungodly civil disobedience. If you remember, they come to arrest Jesus in the garden. He's going to enter into some civil disobedience. But it ain't nonviolent. He says, I'm going to resist these authorities. He pulls the sword. He cuts a man's ear off. That is ungodly civil disobedience. That's incorrect. And then, once again, though, 
he enters into some godly civil disobedience because in Acts 5, he's preaching the gospel and all the leaders say, hey, ain't nobody in here going to preach the name of Jesus anymore. You know how Peter responds? Is it better for us to obey you or obey God? I think we're going to obey God on this matter. We're going to appeal to a higher authority. We're not going to rise up violently. We're not going to dishonor or disrespect you. But ultimately, you have one measure of authority, but God has a greater measure of authority. And if you try to trump God's authority, we're going to trump you and say, no, 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 we're going to go with what God says. So if it comes to a place where God is, is saying, no, this is something that I command you to not do, but yet the authorities are telling you to do it. You say, no, I can't do that. If you live in China and they say, look, you know, we got this law. You've had a second child. You need to put that child to death. No, God commands me to not do this. I can't do that. There's certain things that go against it, and at that point, you cannot submit to authorities who try to assume God's role and cause you to break God's commands. Always remember that. Amen? Lastly, Jesus is the victim of your sinful injustice. Here's what it says, 1 Peter 2, 22. I'm going to finish here. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know, some scholars, I read this scripture, and some scholars actually say that what he's writing here was a, was a, a, a church, an early church worship song. So that when he was writing this, he was reciting the lyrics to a worship song. Now imagine, he's, he's saying this, and, he, and he's saying, if this was a worship song, basically they're worshiping and singing to God and reminding themselves of how they are to go through suffering. So it's almost like they're trying to get praise and joy in their heart while they're going through suffering. It even says in the book of Acts, when they were beaten for the sake of Christ, that they returned with exceeding joy. How do you get beaten and return with great joy? They, they switched their mindset on how they were going to go through these things and they thought in an honor to suffer the way that Jesus suffered. And he says, you've got an example just like Jesus. He is the example. And he says he committed no sin. Jesus is the greatest victim in human history. The greatest victim. Because he's the only person who didn't ever deserve any of the things that he got. Now we think we don't deserve a lot of the things that we get, but... But the fact of the matter is, is we're all sinful and we all want to play the victim. Well, they've done me wrong. I've been done wrong. Well, if it hadn't been for them, if it hadn't been for this, if it hadn't been for that. No, no, no. Jesus gives you an example on how to live. You're abused. You forgive your abuser. You let Jesus heal you. I know that's hard. You say, you say well, what about justice for them? I'm angry. I want justice. You know who will bring justice? God one day will bring absolute and perfect justice. Thank God we have legal systems in place where, where some people do need to be put, to, put away. They really do. Thank God we have that. And, and, and we even pray, though, that while they're in jail or while they're in prison, hopefully God will touch their heart and save their souls. Because in the same way that Jesus responded when He was on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He was the ultimate victim, but He did not play the victim. He played the victor. I'm a victor over all of these things. I'm a victor over the abuse. I'm a victor over the bad-mouthing. I'm, I'm a victor over the evil. I'm a victor over the sin. And it says he committed no sin. 
Neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in turn. When people said horrible things about him, get this, he didn't jump on Facebook and start a post. He didn't just flamethrow at people and say, well, you know what, I don't usually say anything, but I feel like something needs to be said. I mean, y'all, you know, I did that last week. He didn't say that. He was reviled, but he did not revile in return. It says, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So he didn't threaten anybody, but he said, you know what, I'm going to entrust myself to my Heavenly Father because he's called me to yield to this, and I trust that even if it puts me to death, I'm going to be raised up to a greater glory. And what I'm going to do is choose to forgive, and I'm going to choose to love, and I'm going to choose to live in this way. And so here's the thing. To be a Christian means we need to not just consider what others have done to us. So many of us, we get locked in on what others have done to us and we completely forget what we have done to Jesus. And so what we need to do is quit focusing on what others have done to us, realize what we have done to Jesus, repent of that to Jesus, and then respond to people for what they've done to us the way that Jesus responded to us, through forgiveness. He says, that's how you need to do it. Don't, don't worry about what other people have done to you. Worry about what you have done to Jesus. Come to a place of repentance. Receive his forgiveness where he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're going to do. Let him so transform your heart that now you're no longer the victim. You're the victor. You don't have to be enslaved by what people have done to you. You can be set free from all of those things. You can be healed. You can be delivered. Why? Because he goes on to say, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Cursed. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness, what? By his wounds you have been healed. He said, I know you're persecuted. I know people are wounding you and beating you and threatening you with death. But guess what? By Jesus' wounds you have been healed. And he bore your sin on the tree. So in the same way you can forgive others for what they do against you. And if you learn to live a life in that way, people will begin to see Jesus so clearly that they may just turn their hearts over to them and it might just win an entire empire. And it did win an entire empire. He says, for you were like sheep going astray, but you've now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, I know you're wore out. I know the world is heavy. I know people are mean. I know people have mistreated you. And I know you've been like sheep going astray, living just like the rest of the world. But he says, now you can return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And by my wounds, you will receive healing. And the same way that I forgive you, you will learn to forgive others. And he's working this in our life. He's saying, learn to submit yourselves to every human institution. Respect people, honor people, love people. In by doing, you will silence the foolishness of ignorant people. Amen? Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. I don't know where you're at this morning with the Lord, whether or not you've given your life to Him or not, but... There's always an opportunity here. And there's just an opportunity to respond to the Lord. So I'm going to pray. But you know, one of the things that I think we always need to do, and maybe this message spoke to you, or maybe, maybe it's something else going on in your life. Maybe literally you're just under the weight of sin, and you need to experience God's forgiveness, and you need to experience salvation. You need to take some time to respond to the Lord. 
Maybe you're really burdened by a situation and you need healing in some area or you need reconciliation in a relationship. Maybe you need to forgive someone. But right now, I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to show you how you need to respond. How do you need to respond to what God is doing right now? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Do you just need to yield? Do you need to change your attitude toward a particular person or a particular situation? Do you need grace to continue to endure some suffering? What is it that God's calling you to? Jesus, I ask you to bless each person, and I ask you to show them in which, which way they need to respond right now, and I ask you to pour your spirit out in Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to let you sit right where you're at because I want you to respond. If you need to respond by standing and worshiping, then stand and worship. If you need to respond by coming around this altar to pray, I need you to come forward and pray. If you need to stay at your seat and take some time to pray to the Lord, wherever you're at, I want you to respond to the Lord. But what I don't want you to do is just go through the motions in this moment. We need to learn to respond to the Lord. So they're going to sing, they're going to play, but you take a moment to respond how you see fit. If you need prayer, I'm going to ask you to come up. If you need to believe God once again, if you've got hopelessness just, just weighing down on you heavy, and you need prayer, you need something broken off, come up and let us pray for you. But let's just take a moment to respond to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus.